Hello and welcome to the next episode of Sim Talk, a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting family. Today we have with us the CEO of Gold Sim, Rick Kosick. How are you doing today, sir? Pretty good. Happy to be here. So uh, why don't you give our listeners a bit of your history, where you came from, how you got into simulation, what kind of simulation you do, you know, the sort of the, the background. Let's round you out as a human. Okay. So we, um, I'm a civil engineer uh, by training and I was part of a, a, a large international consulting firm and we were tackling a very specific set of complex problems um, that involved um, environmental, simulating environmental, very complex environmental systems. In particular, um, the movement of radionuclides from um, uh, hazardous waste sites and, and uh, disposal systems. That is very specific. Yes, it's, it's a very specific <laughs> simulation problem. So that, that's where we started, and you'll see how we got more generic. So mm-hmm. what is unique about this problem? Well, what's unique about the problem is it's, it, it requires a total system analysis. It's a very complex system. It has many, many moving parts. So you can imagine if you're modeling um, – uh, uh, an environmental system like that, you, you've got to worry about weather, you've got to worry about long-term climate change, you've got to worry about um, uh, the subsurface, um, the surface. Um, they're burying this waste in, in engineered uh, systems, so you have to look at the engineered system and the chemistry there. It reaches some biosphere, maybe thousands of years in the future, you have to see what is the biosphere going to look like. So it's in a very complex system with lots of moving parts with, that requires a lot of subject matter expertise in different arenas. So you need a total system model. Look at the big picture. You also needed a model that has to deal with uncertainty because there's huge amounts of uncertainty in these systems. We're, mm-hmm. These systems were literally looking out 10,000, 100,000 years in the future. And you might say, well, how do you build a simulation 100,000 years in the future? Well, the laws of physics don't change. The laws of physics are constant, but we still have lots of uncertainty about this system. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we started to build a structure that allowed somebody to model this system. Now, as an engineer, the way an engineer likes to model these systems is they want to build a very detailed process level model. Let's say using a finite element analysis of the movement of the water through the system and mm-hmm. so on. Um, and that's how these systems were traditionally uh, approached. The problem is that approach doesn't work when you've got so much uncertainty in the system. Um, well, I would also think they would start to break down in terms of run speed when you're going that far in the future. Oh, well. exactly. So basically, you also have enormous run times, but you also have coupling problems. So you have, you have a very detailed process level model that's looking at the groundwater flow, and you have another detailed process level model that's looking at the the chemistry uh, near where this waste is. All these models are separate models, but they need to be coupled together and they don't talk mm-hmm. to each other. <laughs> they were built by two different national laboratories or something like right. that, you can imagine, mm-hmm. right? So it's very difficult to cobble something like that together. The other thing that really makes this complicated is a lot of people care about this result, all right? This is, mm-hmm. you're, in pub, you're in a public forum, right? Uh, and it's, a, it's quite a... Um, a difficult forum to operate in. You have to be extremely, extremely transparent in the model that you're building. So we, we looked at this complex problem. We say, how do we tackle this? And we say, well, we're going to build a tool that allows us to, 
to model complex systems from the top down. And, and what I mean by that is you start with a simple model, but you try to capture the entire system. Uncertainty is built in from the get-go. So it's a dynamic simulator. You're modeling the system dynamically. You're stepping through time. Right. But the entire dynamic simulation is, is wrapped around, uh, has a Monte Carlo um, engine wrapped around it and, and a very efficient Monte Carlo engine, mind you, because some of these models still may take a long time to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also needed it to be visual. And so we built a, a, a user interface so you could actually explain the model to non-modelers. And we like to say the model is the documentation, is the presentation. Mm-hmm. You throw the model up on the screen. That's how you explain what you're doing. Right. Visualization is very, very it, important. It was very important. So we built this structure and this structure uh, started, to, this, this tool, uh, as we were consultants, was, was started to be used around the world by these are all government organizations in, in the U.S. and Spain and England and, and Japan. If you don't and, mind me asking real quick, what yep. were you coding it in? Um, it's in C++. Okay. Um, the original, uh, yeah, it, it's in C++ now. It was originally in C and then was in convert, converted over mm. to C++. Um, it, it, and there's a reason for that is we're doing some heavy-duty number crunching often in, 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 uh, in what we're doing. So we needed a very efficient um, platform. So we built this tool, and it started to be used for this very specific application. But we're in a large consulting firm, and other consultants in, in this organization looked at our software and said, well, wait a second. That same type of approach I could apply to this problem over here. Now, it's still an environmental problem, but... It's, it's, it's a different type of environmental problem. Maybe it's a, a water resource system where you're modeling, you know, the Colorado River or something like that. It's got some of the same issues. A total system approach is required. It's a big picture model. There's lots of uncertainty in the system, and you need to be able to explain it to an audience. And so suddenly we had other people interested in what we were doing. And then we kind of took a step back and say, oh, you're right. This approach is, is quite generic. It's, it's a, this is the approach to solve complex, in this case, environmental um, uh, problems. So at that point, we, 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 we basically pulled out the stuff that was very specific to um, radioactive waste management, and we made it a very generic tool. Uh, the stuff that was specific, we just made it as a module. You can plug it in if you need to model that problem. If you don't need the model problem, take, the, take it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, we built a, a modular framework in which the bottom framework is just totally generic. Um, in many ways, if for those who are, are, are familiar with system dynamics, at first glance and say, oh, you're solving, you're basically solving um, uh, system dynamics-like problems, um, that's what it would look like. But in, in fact, any system dynamics problems you could solve in GoldSim, but in, in a real-world environmental system or an engineering system, you can't describe the, the real physics of what's going on using system dynamics. It's not enough, all right? Mm-hmm. Remember, system dynamics was primarily all about looking at organizational systems, and it's great at doing that kind of thing. But if you're really modeling an engineered system, uh, the system dynamic structure doesn't quite pull it off. Um, so our tool has many, many more objects that you can drop onto the screen. And when people, you, you may be wondering, well, what, is, it a, is it a discrete event simulator? Is it a system dynamic simulator? Well, what, are, what we're doing at its heart is we're modeling 
the movement of material. So it's, it's like a system dynamic simulator in that regard. Mm. We have stocks of material that we're moving through. Right. The system. At, at its heart, we're solving continuous equations. But in the real world, things aren't always continuous. So for example, a big application in our software is in the mining arena. So we're modeling the movement of material in a mine, um, water, um, rock, um, and different types of solids. These things are not happening smoothly. Stuff happens. Pumps fail, okay? Mm -hmm, Uh, Accidents occur, all right? A storm event occurs. In order to represent a a real-world system accurately, you have to be able to superimpose events onto a continuously varying system. So in our structure, we would be modeling, let's say we're modeling the flow of water through a system, um, and in some places in that system, we're pumping the water from one location to the other. We would actually have another structure in the model that's simulating that pump. Well, pumps are uh, engineered systems that we can describe statistically, and they can fail due to different failure modes. We would actually, we have a module that was developed actually with NASA funding to model um, engineered um, systems and how they might fail. Well, what would happen in our simulation is you'd be doing a probabilistic simulation. All of a sudden, boom, the pump failed. All right, now you're not pumping water from one location to the other. Now, three days later, the pump is repaired. So it was very important for us to capture both the, the, the two types of dynamics, the continuous dynamics, and then superimposed on that, the discrete dynamics. And so that's kind of at its heart what Goldson's about. Could you do a pure discrete event simulation in Goldsim? You could, but I would, people have asked me and I said, no, it's the wrong tool for the job. That's, the, it, right. it wasn't, you could hack it, but it wasn't designed to do pure discrete event simulation. It was designed to model continuous systems with discrete events superimposed on top. Um, there's one exception to that rule, and that is when we're modeling a pure engineered system that just is looking at failure mechanisms. So for example, um, NASA uses GoldSim to model space missions. So for the most part, that's a discrete event model in which you're bouncing between events. Um, mm-hmm. Events are different things that happen during the launch phase and so on, and then things can fail and so on. There's some continuous dynamics we have to track too because we have to keep track of fuel. But it's mainly a discrete model in that we're not tracking objects right? We're not moving, you know, uh, parts on a, on a conveyor belt. We're tracking events that occur during this process um, that, can, that, may not, that, that may not work, that may fail, and that therefore would have some, some impact on the system. So it really, it does not fit into the discrete event category at all. It's not a discrete event simulator. Um, the, the best way to describe it is as a continuous simulator in which you can display you can, um, you can superimpose discrete events with the entire thing wrapped, with the Monte Carlo simulator wrapped around the entire thing because our customers truly are trying to predict um, numbers. <laughs> They're not just looking at performance. They need to know what's the probability that the dam is going to fail. What's the probability I'm going to run out of water? What's the probability that this mission is going to fail? So they actually need quantitative analysis. And if you're, going to, if you're going to produce a prediction in a simulation tool, you have to do it probabilistically. <laughs> because right. if you do deterministically, the only thing you can say about that prediction is it's wrong. <laughs>
Yes, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so, what kind what kind of other things are your customers using your software for right now? So, the the biggest application arena by far is in civil and environmental engineering. So, our our, our most of our customers are uh, engineering consulting firms, and they would simulate, uh, for example, the operation at a mine. They're moving water around a mine, and 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 at a mine, one of the large costs of operating a mine, for example, is water. You either have too much or too little. Um, you have to manage this water and it's recirculated and you're moving all around the system. And by the way, the source of the water is the rain, which mm -hmm. is um, a, an uncertain, a basically a stochastic process. So a big chunk of our customers actually would model a system um, a, a mine system tracking the water around um, this mine to make sure we're gonna have enough water to operate the facility. Um, do we need to build another reservoir? Do we need to change some of our operational rules? Uh, what do we need to do differently to make sure that the mine operates efficiently? Um, that's kind of an example of, of, of the environmental arena. So, and, and those simulations, by the way, are maybe, uh, they're short term. They might be looking, um, uh, compared to the radioactive waste management, they're, they're maybe a year in advance. You might be running the model for a year and in some cases, you might be running the model for 20 or 30 years because there may be some contamination coming out of the mine that we have to track. We want to say, oh, is this contamination from the mine going to impact a river system nearby? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one chunk of, of users. There's a, in, in, along the same vein, we have some users who use our software for uh, water resource systems. So, for, for example, um, in Arizona, they use GoldSim to, uh, it's part of the Central Arizona project. We drive through Phoenix, you see all those canals. That's the Central Arizona project. Um, you've got demands for water. You've got the supply of water. and <laughs> You need to look into the future and say, what do I need to do to make sure that my supply matches my demand? So now we're going to simulate the system well into the future, looking at uh, population. The model might include a population growth model. How many people are, are going to be in this area going forward? Uh, what's the weather going to look? We need to, maybe it has a climate change model. Um, we're going to add different um, types of structures in the system to, 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 to manage the water. Um, but looking forward and asking what if questions, what if we do this, does it help us meet our, um, uh, our, our demand? Um, for water. So those two applications are a, a big, I'd say probably 50% of our applications are in water and mining. And, and the reason wow. for that is that's what, that's where we, we grew up, right? That's what we right, know, right. Mm -hmm. right? And so um, we, we do a lot of that. The other 50% are a little bit of everything. So as I told you, NASA uses GoldSim to model space missions. Um, we, uh, uh, we have some users who are modeling, um, uh, let, let's say, a plant. So they're modeling the movement of, of material through uh, a plant that crushes rock and, and, and runs it through some unit processes. Uh, the equipment can fail. They want to know what the throughput of this facility is, accounting for all the failures. Um, we have a group of modelers who are modeling very large, complex projects. So uh, we have a, a a group that models, uh, as an example, um, a project that might take 20 or 30 years. Well, we say, what kind of project takes 20 or 30 years? Where, well, uh, cleaning up all the radioactive waste in the United States. All right. It's, mm -hmm. it's scattered all over the, the country. Right. 
there's all sorts of logistics. I have to move it from one location to the other, and I have to move it from here to here and here to here. Let's simulate that process, look at where all the big uncertainties are, and see if we can optimize that 20-year project to minimize costs and maximize success. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so lo- as for, because, because it's a generic tool, you know, we, we, we started out in this engineering, civil engineering arena, and it's you know, be ha- maybe half our, our applications, but the other half are a little bit of everything. And typically people, a, a, a good simulator finds a tool and say, oh, this is cool. I can do this with it. We never, of course, these would be applications we never even thought of. And all of a sudden they say, look what I'm doing with your software. I decided, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that right. works. You can do that. <laughs> um, it was, an, you know, we didn't design it for that, but it's generic enough where people can pick it up and use it for, um, you know, for, for unusual applications. So one thing I'm, I'm sure you get a lot, especially uh, for your internal consultants who are doing projects for outside people, um, in the, the projects that are really long-term, high variability, how, how do you tell them, like, how do you tell the customer these results are valid? Like, what, what's your approach for that? Because, you know, that's something buy-in, the whole buy-in, you know, trusting results, something that all simulation people have to deal with. But most simulation people aren't dealing with a 10,000-year time horizon yeah. either. Yeah, okay. So that, that's an unusual one. But let me start at the other end. So, um, you know, clearly um, when we're modeling, I'll give you an example of a mine. If you're modeling a mine, um, you, you, you're, you're going to calibrate your model. So you've got existing data. You've, you've got water flowing through the system and you're measuring water levels and ponds and, and so on. And you obviously calibrate your model to make sure that your model could predict what happened last year. So there's a case where we can compare, um, uh, you know, simulate the past and see if the model can do it before we start doing a, a prediction to the future. Uh, and, and of course, right. and that's a pretty standard approach. Yeah, and of course, we're always going to do that if we can. Right. Um, the small subset of our users who who are modeling these these long term um, systems, you you can't really um, well, you can't calibrate the model, and 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 you. So the question is, how do you validate that the model you've built? Um, is a representation of, of, of reality. And, and typically what's done in that arena um, is it, it's, it's really done in two different ways. And obviously one way is you, you try to model the system using a different set of tools and a different set of approaches. And you see, do we get similar um, results, right? So you're not really, um, uh, you're not really, Va- uh, validating the system, but you start to feel a little bit better. Um, but, but that could also lead to a lot of just confirmation bias, right? It could be too, right? You got to be mm-hmm. a little careful, right? You, you want to have in, uh, independent analysis. But what it usually comes down to is these type of models, the way they're validated is, is through uh, expert opinion. So you have a separate set of experts, reviewers, let's say, who look at how the model was built, look at its key assumptions, and say, is, are, is this reasonable? Is this, can, is this defensible? Um, and it's, all, it's really the best you can do when you're making a 10,000 year simulation. Now, you, mm-hmm. can, you can, of course, break some parts of the model into, you know, there may be parts of the model where you can break it into a smaller part of the system and do a simulation for which you have a year or two of data. Right. Uh, and, uh, and all these models would have some of that all the time. They're always running experiments and, and they're trying to reproduce the experiment 
over short time frames, but over the long time frames, you're stuck. Um, although I, I will say there are some exceptions to that. So for example, in the radioactive waste management arena, there are some natural analogs where there will be natural reactors, um, believe it or not, um, that actually produce some um, uh, radioisotopes. Um, and, and you can look at historically how that you know how that material moved over or over many many thousands of years and mm -hmm. then try to reproduce that using a model but that i would have to say that's a very difficult type of it's probably a type of simulation that almost nobody ever has to deal with right this idea of simulating right. a system for these enormous time frames um it's where we started right and it's it's still it's part of our business now. It's not where the bulk of our business is, but it's important that we started there because it really made us question um, engineers' reliance on building a model and let's just run it and okay, here's the result. We we put a huge amount of focus on representing uncertainty, specifically because we are modeling these enormously long mm -hmm. time frames. And and I should say, by the way, when you talk about uncertainty, not just in these radioactive waste management systems but any type of model that you m might build people are very um it, it they're very they're often quite happy with modeling uncertainty in parameters they say here's a parameter and oh i think it's between 10 and 20 that's what its value is and i'll sign a log normal distribution people are comfortable doing that they, they say that makes sense what they never consider is their uncertainty in their actual conceptual model so the think of it this way, am I even using the right equation, right? I'm, I'm representing some process, mm -hmm. okay? I can parameterize that process and I can have uncertainty on my, uh, the parameters uh, for that process, but do I even have the right equation? Am I even using the right equation? Do I understand this system well enough? Um, and that type of uncertainty, in my view, people don't put enough emphasis on when modeling a complex system. They're very confident that they have the right equation, the right algorithm, when they may not really understand the system. Um, and so the way that would be treated in a Monte Carlo simulation often is you, you, you have to do it obviously via uh, expert elicitation. You talk to the experts and you might say, well, there's three different conceptual models for the way this system might behave, right? Here they are. And each one of them would be an algorithm, let's say. I think about 60, there's a, this is my, the most, the one I believe the most. Maybe there's a 60% chance that this is the model, but maybe there's a, 20% chance of this model and a 20% chance of this model. To be honest, you have to represent that. You have to say, yes, we think that's the right model, but we might be wrong. There might be a, com a completely different set of equations that's describing the system. We're going to put it into our Monte Carlo simulation and see if it makes a difference. So for example, maybe, the, maybe one of those conceptual models produces a very uh, bad result in terms mm -hmm. of performance of the system. Well, if that's the case, then you've got to get much more serious about putting effort into understanding um, that conceptual model. In fact, when we first built our tool, the purpose of the tool was not to predict performance of, of a radioactive waste repository. The purpose of the tool was to tell the Department of Energy, where should we spend our money to better understand the system? So essentially, you, you build a model with a lot of uncertainty. And you say, what is, we're getting, we have an uncertainty in our result. We have a, a large uncertainty in our result. What's that, what's causing that uncertainty? Which parameters are causing that uncertainty? There might be 50 parameters, but three of them are dominating the uncertainty in the result. 
don't waste your time on the other 47 parameters. Put all your research mm -hmm. into those three parameters to make sure you understand what's driving the um, to, to, to what's driving the system. So that was actually what the tool was originally developed for: is to help the Department of Energy determine where to spend their money in order to reduce the uncertainty in their predictions. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, do you ever see you know, especially with uh, you know the algorithms that predict you know different models that especially with the environmental things that those will shift as different events occur, like a, you know, a weather event or something. Oh, absolutely. Is that, is that something you see a lot of? Yeah, uh, so basically sudden events can make a huge difference in an environmental system. So just, just to give you an example, uh, you can imagine um, if you're modeling, uh, uh, we'll start with a short-term system from modeling a, a, a mine, um, uh, a one-day rainstorm can change everything, right? Can, right. Can, can, can break the system if you're, if you're not ready for it, right? Um, and, and, and it changes the – it immediately changes the behavior of the entire system. You might actually start overtopping a dam or something like that. You could fail uh, the facility. Another example on a longer frame, imagine you're modeling a, a, a radioactive waste site um, in which these, these radionuclides are moving through the environment. and there's faults through this system. Um, well, if all of a sudden you have an earthquake and a fault moves, you may actually open up a new pathway through which these contaminants can move. Completely change, basically it changes the structure of the model completely as a sudden event. So those types of, of events and, and sudden changes to the system um, do have to be considered. And, and we would consider that an important part of, of the conceptual model that we're building. Are we, uh, when you're building your model, are you representing these sudden changes that can completely change the behavior of the system? And again, they're always going to be represented probabilistically. So an event has a probability of occurrence. Um, if, uh, if an earthquake occurs, um, the magnitude is a probability distribution, right? And so mm -hmm. you, we, we, we have the data in many cases to, to, to quantify these systems accordingly. Hmm. So would, would you say that, um, well, or in the software, is there like different profiles for the sort of conceptual models for the Monte Carlo system that like, okay, um, we're going to say water moves like this, but during a storm or after a storm, we're going to flip all that. And you're based on the size of the, the, prob the probabilistic size of the storm that the model produces. We're going to have four different models with different percentages that we're going to look at to see what, what might happen. Is that something yeah. that the software can handle? It, that's exactly what handle, but it's it's the onus is on obviously the modeler the user right, right, to build but, those things but that's exactly how you would do it right so um you would you would build a structure you'd build a framework that accounts for all the different possibilities now of course it's a monte carlo simulation right so um we don't have to actually lay out the chain of events we're just going to roll the dice and every time a new chain of events is going to pop up right and right. so there may be, you know, millions of different chains of events that can occur in this system, and Monte Carlo is going to find those chains for us. Um, we don't actually have to spell them out. We do have to spell out the, you know, the cause and effect. If this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this mm -hmm. happens. Um, but the timing um, of the various events um, is, is what we're going to use Monte Carlo to tease out. Okay. Uh, 
so sort of looking, you know, in the future for GoldSim, what are some areas, new areas you're starting to see your product being used that are really exciting for you? Yeah, the, the most exciting area it, uh, for me is um, this, the application of GoldSim to do um, reliability and risk analysis. So what, what do I mean by that? So I, I mentioned to you that, um, you know, the, the, the basic framework of GoldSim is, is really to model continuous systems, let's say the movement of water or contaminants through a system. Um, but about 10 years ago, we built a module, um, to sp and it was with, for, for NASA, to model um, the reliability of engineered systems. So you actually can model um, a spacecraft. Um, and, and again, what do I mean by modeling a spacecraft? It's not, let me just take a step back there from what I mean by that. We're really modeling the events in a mission, right? So right. the thing lifts off, then this can happen. Well, the probability of, of, of that failing is 30%. If and that fails, it, it could branch off into three other possibilities. And each one of those has a probability of something happening. And they're all coupled together. What we're actually doing is, is doing a risk analysis, a probabilistic risk analysis um, that is accounting for the complex dynamics that really exist in these systems, right? So just to give you an example, I might be modeling a, 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 a spacecraft um, on a mission and uh, some event can occur, uh, either an engineered event or, or an external event that pushes the spacecraft out of... Uh, uh, kind of pushes it off course, right? So that would, as we're simulating that realization of the system, that happens. In order to get back on course, it has to use some fuel. Well, we're keeping track in the model of how much fuel is being used, all right? Now mm -hmm. the thing gets to the planet, and in that realization, we realize, oh, we've used some of the fuel. Therefore, that may impact uh, its entry into orbit, for example, right? So it's a very complex dynamic system where you have to have the memory of what's happened in the past to know what's going to happen two years into the future of the, of, of the mission. We're going to simulate that system a thousand times, and we're going to look at all the possibilities of things that can go wrong during that mission. And, and again, the goal of, 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 a, of a simulation like that is to say, what's the probability of mission success? When it does go wrong, why did it go wrong? Mm -hmm. right? Oh, these four things happened. Is there something we can do about that in the design, right? Maybe there's not, right? But maybe we can add some redundancy or, 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 or something to, to lower the probability of that failure. Um, that's, that, that is more of a, a, of a mission um, simulating a, a complex mission. The same technology can be used to model a complex machine, all right? So, so for example, um, for one client, I helped them model um, a, a machine, uh, basically a robot that was 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 handling um, blood samples and, and and moving them through a through a machine and sampling them. There's many many steps that this robot had to had to move through. Mm -hmm. What you care about in that simulation is what's the throughput of samples through the machine, right? right? what affects the throughput is all the things that can fail, right? <laughs> and so if we're simulating all of the mechanisms by which this thing can fail, right, um, then we can, we can actually simulate the machine before we build it, right? So, and, and, then, and then tune the design accordingly. Mm -hmm. So for, the, uh, for the, the, the robot model, how far back did you start? Was it all the, 
all the blood samples were a certain age or what? Because I used to work for the, the Red Cross. So this is something that, you know, really is interesting to me. So how far back from the sampling, like what kind of sampling was it? I don't know if that's something you can get into, but... Well, mm-hmm. I, I can't get into the, the the specifics of it, but basically, all you you shouldn't focus on the fact that it was blood. You just focus on the uh, uh, on the fact that we're putting something into a machine. And okay. It's moving through the machine, and it's accomplishing some task and popping all out right. the back. So, right. So the raw material was basically just one unit of raw material. Right. It's okay. a unit of raw. It happened to be blood mm-hmm. in this case. Right. And while it's moving through the machine, there's a lots of there's lots of things mm-hmm. happening. Um, you know, it's being moved around, and and uh, uh, the 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 idea of a model like that is, you know, to get the this raw material from point A to point B through this process, there might be 400 movements or operations mm-hmm. that need to take place. Each of them can fail, right? And if they do fail, what does it do? Well, this one can be repaired. This one can't be repaired. You can imagine all the combinations. If you really want to know the right. of, 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 a, of mm-hmm. a complicated process, you have to account for failures because things break all the time. And uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. They never the work time. as designed, right? <laughs> and so, so that, that idea of using gold sim, these, these, these capabilities that we originally built for NASA, but have expanded to other arenas is quite exciting to me because, um, you know, mach- things are getting more and more complex, right? And, and mm-hmm. things oh, fail. Yeah. Right. And so what we want to do is we want to model these failures realistically. We want to model these failures realistically. What could really happen um, so we can we can actually uh, as we're designing these 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 processes, these machines, um, we can we, we can prevent uh, we can we can optimize things like throughput. Um, we can find where what are the key parts of the system that are that are giving us our unreliability in the system can we change the design Mm -hmm. because uh one reason it kind of popped in my head because uh you know when when you draw blood you know like a blood donation drive or whatever a timer starts and that blood has to be processed in a certain amount of time for different things plasma other platelets those kind of things um and I, uh, you actually, you're, you're spot on in this particular application. Mm-hmm. Okay. A sample went into the machine. Okay. And if halfway through the machine stopped for some reason, all right, if it couldn't be restarted after a certain amount of time, that sample is lost and it's thrown out. You've lost that sample, right? Which is bad. You've got the sample. Now you, you don't have it anymore. It, it, and the model actually incorporated that logic into it. it. Says, "Oh, if I can get the machine going again in five minutes, I can. This sample can continue mm-hmm. on its way. But if I can't, I've got to throw it out." Well, and something I think would be really interesting to look at was uh, one issue that we have is, or had at Red Cross is the more rural places they would have to basically have you know runners and couriers to bring blood back ah, and forth. So you yeah. start working in not only the machines but also vehicle failures whether oh, you know what that's like that. that's really cool because that that type of analysis to me is fascinating so i'll give you an example of that imagine you're modeling uh, an engineered system okay um in which a pump can fail all right mm-hmm. um and this pump fails and it needs to be repaired um but in order to repair that pump 
um, you, you know, we, we like to assume, oh, the pump has failed, or we're, people are immediately notified and, and we go out and fix it. But in the real world, there may be an information delay where that pump has failed and we don't know for two days, right? Right. And, oh, by the way, once, once we know, the person we told may do the wrong thing and say, ah, I'm not worried about it. So this mixture of, of modeling people interacting with machinery is critical. In fact, when you, do, when you do simulate a risk analysis, let's say of a space mission, the failures are not all machinery. You also model the failures of people to, 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 to make the right decisions when they're, when, when, when they're faced with some information. Mm -hmm. um, and that interface of modeling how people respond and uh, with the machines it, it is quite fascinating. And, and, and often people, when, when people model these systems, they leave out the human aspect of it, don't they? Right? They, right. they, they, they can model the machine, but we're, we're, they, they just assume the humans are going to do it correctly. But mm -hmm. oftentimes, systems fail because of human error, right? And you right. need to model that human error uh, explicitly when you're modeling the machine. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've been seeing a lot more of is people especially trying to go to robots to get humans out of the equation so there is less, you know, human error, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Difficult. <laughs> Difficult, yeah. yeah. Difficult to do. <laughs> uh, so er, how is, do y'all do any kind of like population modeling, like disease spread or like economic impact, that kind of thing? Well, uh, obviously, we're, we're, since we're uh, 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 we have, you can build a simple disease spread model in GoldSim, but I would never do that because uh, you're not going to capture the, the geography. And, um, to so me, there, there's no an real GIS. No, there's not a GIS uh, built into it at all. Um, okay. Most of our systems are interestingly geographically based. So you're, you're, you're actually modeling a piece of land often, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's a small piece of land and it's, and you've got the various, you know, ponds and, and hills and, and, and rivers in this, in this system. Um, now, but in terms of population, that is interesting. That's a key part of many of our Goldson models are people modeling populations. So uh, if, if you're going to uh, model a water resource system, it's not enough to model rainfall and runoff and the movement of water through the environment. Um, there's demands for that water. And in order to model the demands for the water, you have to model the population growth in that area. So that's not an uncommon part of, of what our customers will use the model for at all. So it'll, it would not be uncommon at all to have a single model in which one part of the model is modeling the movement of water through a system. Another part of the model is modeling the growth of population and hence the demand for that water. And another part of the model is modeling all the costs involved here, right? So one model, we would model that entire system um, at, a, at a very high, um, mm -hmm. high level. Uh, there is a, uh, we've got a customer in Australia, uh, geographers who, who use our tool to, to model the growth of cities. And they've looked at, um, uh, you know, complex economic models of an entire region, looking at growth mm -hmm. and how different incentives could, could change how, the system, how that city evolves. That would be very interesting to see. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool modeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I have two degrees in finance with economics built in there. So that's, if I could ever figure, find a job where I could do both, like <laughs> simulation and like economic stuff, I'd be the happiest person in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, 
you know, we're kind of getting close to our hour here. So uh, what would be some, you know, for the young people out there who are maybe looking at simulation as a career, uh, what would, you know, books to read, classes to take, you know, general advice you've learned from all your years of consulting? Yep. So that's a good question. I mean, here's my uh, point about simulation modeling. When I, we teach a lot of courses, um, we, we, we go out and, 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 and teach a lot of our users how to use our tool. And um, it's easy how, it's easy to learn how to use a tool, whether it's Goldsum or any other of the simulation tools. Anybody can learn how to use a tool. All right. These are the dialogues and so on. What is much, much more difficult is learning how to build a model and what's really important when you're building a model. How do you build a conceptual model? And and when I'm Mm -hmm. teaching a course, um, you know, you'll say, I want you to model this system. And half the people in the room, their their eyes are are just glassed over. They don't even know where to start, right? Because they can't tackle a complex system represented abstractly at a correct level, right? And, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, as Box said, all, um, all models are wrong, some are useful, right? <laughs> so what we, what we want to do is build a model that's useful. And a model that's useful doesn't have to be a model that's extremely complicated. And that's the biggest mm-hmm. error I see. Engineers love to build really, really complicated models. Wrong wrong. Don't start with a complicated model. You might end up with a complicated model because that's where you had to go. But you start with a simple model and say, can I represent what I'm seeing with this simple representation? I can. Okay, stop. I can't. Okay, what am I missing? Let's add some more detail, right? That ability to start simple and represent a complicated system at the appropriate level is the most important skill a modeler can learn. Learning what Once you know that, you can take any tool. You can use any tool and start building models. Right. But if you can't represent a system in an abstract way, I don't care how good you are with the specific tools, you're never going to build good models. Hmm. Um, and that's what I would really, you know, that's what I see as one of the big, uh, in fact, if I were to say what, what limits the growth of simulation is, I think it's, the lack of people who are able to do that well, right? Um, that's the that's the single limitation of, how, of 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 good simulation models. Finding people who can carry that out um, and, and know how to apps. And by the way, that process has nothing to do with the tool. It's independent of the tool, right? You you shouldn't even right. pick up. In fact, if you're building a complex model, don't forget about the software. In fact, don't pick out what software you want to use, all right? First, build a conceptual model of the system, all right? Once you've built a conceptual model of the system, then you say, ah, what software can represent that conceptual model, right? Often people do it the other way around. Oh, I know this tool, so I'm going to try to force this model into this tool. Bad decision, right? right. Build your conceptual model first and then decide what kind of tool do I need you maybe the tool is just the back of an envelope okay maybe it's a spreadsheet maybe it's a discrete event simulator but don't make the decision about what tool you're going to use until you first built a conceptual model Mm -hmm. that's a big weakness that 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 um that i've seen if you could give me advice to people on how to get better at that what would it be (laughs) yeah that's that's um that's a tough one. <laughs> okay. I think um, 
you can't really learn that in a book. Um, I, I don't think you can learn that in a book. Um, I think the only way to learn how to go through that process is to work with an experienced modeler, right? A mentor who who let walks you through the process and, and, and you start to build a model and say, well, wait a second, that do you really need to do that? Does that make sense? Is that is that an important process? Do we need to represent it? I think the only way to learn that is through uh, mentoring with experienced modelers. I, I just, it would be nice if you could read a book and, and learn how to do that, but I don't think that's realistic. <laughs> uh, you, you, the only way to learn that is by building models over and over and over again um, with uh, experienced people critiquing what you're doing. I mean, you must have seen that yourself. In, in, uh, oh, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Some people, some people are really natural with it and some people aren't. Uh, for me, it's always trying to get the customer to understand. This is something I try to teach the people I work with is like, look, you might think you're that, you might think you're special, but you're really not. You're yeah. like a thousand, you know, there's a thousand other processes throughout the world that are really similar to yours. And, you know, like, you know, yeah. you know I've definitely upset some people when I'm like, look, this is really just a production facility. You just don't like to think of it. That exactly. Way. In fact, a good modeler does exactly what you've just said, Jacob. Basically, they can look at something and say, oh, that's completely analogous to this completely different process over here, right? That's what an, that's what an abstract thinker does. It says, oh, yeah, that, that process is really analogous to this process. I know how to model that. I know how to represent that particular thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a uh, it's a tough skill uh, for people to learn, and, and you just have to you know you, you just have to uh, find somebody who can guide you. Um, you're just not going to learn that in a book. The other thing I would point out is that um, there is a degree of pro, of subject matter expertise in any given arena that you really have to have before you can become a modeler in that arena. So, for example, if you know nothing about hydrology, right? you're not going to model a river. Okay. Right. Uh, all right. So there's all, and you know, if you don't know anything about logistics, you know, you're not going to model a, you know, a shipping system. It, it just isn't going to happen. There, there's obviously there's a fundamental level of subject matter expertise that you need before you can go on to try to model that system. Uh, going, going back to the abstraction a bit, do you think that, you know, the, being that the, I would say 99% of simulation people come out of an engineering background, do you think academics and engineering push too much for an answer, you know, the right answer? So it, you know, kind of limits people's ability, I want to say ability to think, but ability to abstract. What, what do you mean by the right answer? Give, give me. Well, you know, there is, when, when, you know, there's a right way to model. Oh yes, right. you know that kind of thing. You know, it, you know, if it is, if it doesn't look exactly like this, it's wrong. Uh, yeah, that's that, how that, the professor grades. Yeah, that that's a big problem. In fact, we just had this discussion. So we had our user conference last week, um, and we had a, a panel discussion during our user conference about how do we, within an organization, so many of our users are parts, let's say, of big government or engineering firms, large organizations. And, and, and the question we said is, how do we um, leverage um, something that somebody is in the organization has done into another part of the organization so that we're not reinventing the wheel? And it, it touches on this topic because um, the problem that everybody had 
was they said, well, because what I said, just to spur some conversation, I said, well, why, don't, why doesn't every organization have a style guide? This is how this particular model needs to be built, all right? And I knew I was going to get pushback here, and I did, <laughs> because people correctly pointed out, in most complex systems, there is no one right way to simulate mm. that system, right? There might be three or four right ways, right? Um, and... Uh, forcing somebody down one, you know, uh, way to model the system is uh, is not a good idea. And, and I think that's what you were getting at in terms of the, mm. the academic arena. Do do are people pushed in that direction? And I, I think that would be a problem. Um, every you could put four good modelers in a room, and they would come up with maybe four different structures for that model, and they, and, and they all might be pretty represent. Uh, representative they may all come with the same answer depending yeah, on how yeah, you do. exactly exactly yeah. the, the reason i bring it up is this summer i had an intern uh, and uh was teaching her uh, simio simulation and that kind of stuff and the way i model especially in simio which is the software she'll be using at her university is very different from most people mm -hmm. and we were kind of talking about it as she was getting ready to go back to school and i was like well when you take your simulation class you should get an a and she's like I'm really worried my professor won't like the way I do it. <sighs> and that just like, it hit me. I'm like, I had something I never really thought of, especially because I didn't have, uh, I have no formal simulation education. Uh, I, right. I, well, I mean, I had mentors and stuff when I got into the workforce, but I came through finance. So I, you know, I didn't have a, this is how you model course. Yep. So I model kind of a weird way. <laughs> and so, but it hit me. I'm just like, oh, that's why people, do this and yep. the thing is like I can I can pinpoint the the type of professor and what software they came up in by the the, the way their students model yeah uh, I was a judge for a simulation competition I'm like oh these three people and I looked it up like these three models their original professor came from arena yeah and sure yeah. enough he was a reader guy. And, and, and who you know, what? I, I actually, I, 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 one of the things that I think, you know, we're a software vendor, but I frequently will get a phone call from a potential customer and I will tell them, no, don't use our software for that problem. Okay. And I think that's really, really critical in that, um, as I pointed out before, the problem should define what software you use. The software shouldn't define how you solve the problem, right? right. And, mm -hmm. be, and a good simulator, right, has a whole bunch of tools in his or her bag, right? Not just one tool, multiple tools, and they pick the tool that's most appropriate for the job at hand, right? And that's, that's critical. Some people learn one tool really well, and that's the only tool they want to use that's just the wrong approach to simulation. Right. Well, the, the most important tool, at least in my opinion, to learn how to use is a whiteboard. Yes, like you, absolutely. You need to be have, like I tell people, it's like, I need the biggest whiteboard you can oh, get. You know, that is so spot on. When people say, how long does it take to build a model? How long does it take, you know, to build a Goldson model? I said, well, building the Goldson model itself is 20% of the effort. Right. Building the conceptual model, which starts on a whiteboard, is 80% of the work and collecting the data. Most of the work is trying to conceptualize the system on a whiteboard uh, with, you know, process flow diagrams or calls or loop diagrams or whatever it is, what set of tools you like to use. That's the most important part of the job. In fact, uh, funny story, I've been in, in uh, 
in the room where I'm talking to a group um, from a large organization, each are in their own little silo, and we're trying to model their entire system. And we start out, you know, and I'm not talking about the software, so don't worry about the software. Let's just sketch your system out on the board. And you start drawing it up on the board and you start asking them questions and you're drawing a flow chart mm-hmm. or something. And all of a sudden, and it's happened to me multiple times, I've realized, oh my gosh, they've never had this discussion before. <laughs> right? It happens all the time. <laughs> exactly. It happens all the time. And it comes back to this issue of that you start with a conceptual model of the system that you're, you're trying to model. What, how does it really work? What does it look like? Don't worry about the tools we're going to use. That's way down the road. First, let's figure out how the system works. Too many people, particularly, you know, simulation can be addictive, right? It's kind of fun, right, to use any yeah. simulation tool. So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool to, to use a simulation tool. A lot of people are faced with the problem, and the very first thing they want to do is start entering it into the tool. And that is exactly the wrong thing to do, all right? Put the tool away, put your computer away and stand in front of the whiteboard, all right? And convince yourself, what is this system all about? Once you've done mm-hmm. that, then pick up the computer. Well, even before that, you gotta get in the room with everybody because everyone yeah. wants to jump right into the tool and like, no. Yeah. Like, they're like, why do we need to have a talk? It's like, cause there's a lot of questions we need to answer. Like why, it's yeah. a pre system. Like, no, it's not. Yeah, getting all the people in the room and, and, and getting everybody to kind of understand how the system, because, you know, in a complicated system, a compli- complicated organization, a lot of people may not understand other parts of the organization that well. They know the guy, they meet him in, in the hall and stuff, but they mm-hmm. don't really understand how their actions affect this other person's um, business or, 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 you know, p- part of the system. And getting them all in the room to kind of look at the big picture is is critical and in fact you know coming back to where i started at the beginning of the talk today we were very much focused on what we call total system models and when i say Mm -hmm. a total system model we say take a step out all right don't zoom in on one part of it make sure you've included all of the moving parts right don't leave those moving parts out and just assume they're an exogenous input to the system can we include that in the system is that something we need to include in the system and start from the top down and, 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 and take a system level view of, 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 the, of the problem that you're trying to model. That's, that's a, a critical piece of advice um, mm-hmm. for anybody building a model. Absolutely. Uh, well, we're uh, about at our hours. So, uh, Rick, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we uh, sign off here? Nope. I, I very much enjoyed our chat. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Thank you. I very much appreciate you coming on. Uh, The website is goldsim.com. Again, you can check out the podcast on iTunes, Google, uh, brokenjars.xyz. There's other podcasts there that are not simulation related at all. So that's going to be fun. But uh, thanks for coming uh, today, Rick, and giving us your time. And listeners, uh, thank you for giving me your time. Have a good day.